Are you curious about how to get over your fear of public speaking, which is some people's greatest fear? Are you wondering what is the law of attraction? And is it bogus or is it just not working for you? Are you itching to know how to turn every moment of panic into an inspiration to move you closer to your goals. Stick around, my friend, because on today's show, our very first guest will answer all these questions and so much more. Welcome to the Deeper Motivation Show. It is I, your friendly neighborhood podcast host, John Carrier. Stick around while I interview experts in mind and body wellness and people just like you who have beaten burnout, broken through barriers, and built balance for a life they really want. Are you driven and motivated, but feel like you need to dive deeper? Well, you've come to the right place because when it comes to taking better care of ourselves and achieving our goals, what most people know is just the tip of the iceberg. Greetings and salutations, and thank you for joining us today for the very first interview here on The Deeper Motivation Show. Before we get into it, I want to give you a little bit of background on how I encountered today's guests and kind of where he's coming from and where I'm coming from in a lot of ways. Uh, a few months ago, I started taking classes with, at this place called HMI, which stands for Hypnosis Motivation Institute. If you live in the ALA area, and if you don't, nobody's perfect, but if you do and you've driven on the 101 past Tarzana, you've probably seen uh, signs on the uh, highway for the exit for this school. I know I passed by it for several years, always like slightly curious what uh, Hypnosis Institute was all about. I began encountering uh, its graduates more and more in the field of helping people and pe helping people overcome various things. And so I thought I'd check it out. And this was like, you know, kind of tail into COVID times. I was taking a lot of online classes as kind of a hobby or self-care, if you will. Um, but then I learned so much about the power of the subconscious mind to help us with breakthroughs in everything from stress management and anxiety uh, to trouble sleeping, to trouble reaching or maintaining uh, a healthy weight, for example. Uh, people use it have used it for many years to quit smoking. I have friends who have quit smoking uh, using hypnosis. And so having been in a role where I, I help people with my words, I thought maybe this will teach me you know better words to help people with. So I started taking these classes and one of my teachers has been a guy named Joe Tabanella. Now, when I first started thinking about putting this podcast together, uh, I asked a number of my teachers who they thought would be uh, good for this area of mindset, especially using the subconscious mind. And over and over again, the first name out of people's mouths was Joe Tabanella. Joe is a hypnosis instructor at HMI. He is a trainer in this thing called NLP or neuro-linguistic programming that you're going to learn more about today. Uh, also mental and emotional release therapy, that's MER. And uh, he teaches classes in bio feedback in the correlation that you have with biofeedback and neurofeedback to hypnotherapy, uh, as well as uh, this a practical approach to what's referred 
commonly as the law of attraction. And you may have heard of this. There's a book uh, just tearing up the supermarket checkout shelves called The Secret. And uh, there's a movie about it. And so they, they started talking about the law of attraction. People put together these vision boards. Uh, not something I've been into, but I'm you know curious about it. Uh, and anyway, uh, Joe has a very practical approach to what people call the law of attraction. You'll learn more about that today. He's a certified clinical hypnotherapist with an AOS degree in mind body psychology he's a group facilitator and hypnotherapist at this place called the milestones ranch in malibu which is a dual diagnosis uh, treatment center these days he also offers private sessions at his office in woodland hills he travels to teach seminars and workshops has been interviewed on podcasts uh, and now this podcast uh, as well as being featured on uh, bravo and lifetime and he's uh, the co-creator of possible which is an app designed to help people release negative emotions uh, reprogramming limiting beliefs and constructing positive future visions of oneself um, he's a co-author of several children's books uh, designed to help children access the resources they need to overcome some common developmental challenges and like i said in addition to all these achievements and qualifications uh he has the uh, the ignoble honor of being a teacher of mine and i'm grateful for that because i've witnessed him uh working one-on-one -on -one with people in a therapeutic setting and it's amazing with just like a few minutes of conversation i've seen him help people overcome limits and barriers that they've been wrestling with for years or even decades and he's uh, he's an inspiration to me and so uh and, and to so many people who are on this path of mind body integration so i couldn't be more tickled to have him as the first guest on my show so now, without further ado, let's meet the Deeper Motivation Show's very first guest, Joe Tabanella. Coming to the microphone, we have the one and only Joe Tabanella. Joe, thank you for joining us on the Deeper Motivation Show. Thanks a lot for having me, Joe. I've learned so much from you at uh, HMI, and um, some things that stick out in my mind are uh, talking about states, talking about law of attraction. What can you tell me about the law of attraction? <laughs> I hate that term. That's what I can tell you about it, even though I teach it. Um, law of attraction. I, I like to, um, to this day, I mean, I won the lottery doing the law of attraction when I was 19. That's what got me into this whole, like, you know, noetic understanding of how we create our lives. Right. And, uh, so it drives me crazy when I hear law of attraction because I'm a very cynical person and I'm the type of person that would say, what do you mean law of attraction? Because I'd be the person to misunderstand what people mean when they say law of attraction or even worse, understand what they mean when they say law of attraction as if just the thought form is going to you know, have an elephant drop into your room or you know, lottery show up you know, out of nowhere. And even though there's some truth to that, there's a there's a middle ground so i can't stand saying the law of attraction because it sounds like i'm saying and others are saying that you don't have to work hard you don't have to do anything you don't have to take responsibility you don't have to have negative experiences you just close your eyes and what psychologists refer to as magical thinking and everything's going to work out but at the same time at the same time the the curious nature that i have looked into this and I thought about the placebo as a thought form that changes people's internal experience chemically and physically, right? Um, we know that people have done crazy things by believing 
in them. We, we know about synchronicities. We know that these things are real and they happen. And now we understand that, that things are um, not as based in the physics that uh, Einstein presented, as we know. Now, that's not proof. Again, that drives me crazy. You know, oh, superposition. That means that we can create everything. You know, everything. There's no such thing as um, uh, uh, this moment and that moment being separated. We're all one. It's non-local. Everything is is non-local. And yes, that can definitely support why these miraculous things happen but to claim them as how it happens is kind of irresponsible i think if you're trying to be reasonable or even scientific about it i try to become very practical about it and 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 so that's where i am as far as the law of attraction i like to call it (laughs) the law of transduction Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, because transduction is what we're doing right now with your microphone and your speaker. We're taking a certain data form of information, your voice, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going into this diaphragm in the microphone and it's turning all that data into a different medium called electricity. Mm-hmm. And that gets stored on a chip that's electromagnetic patterns. Mm-hmm. And then that goes back into electricity along a wire and hits a speaker. And that speaker turns that electro. Um, the electricity into pressure waves and now I'm hearing your voice somewhere else so what happened there right so I see law of attraction as basically that we take an idea from the inner world and our bodies and brains are transducers of that but that doesn't mean that we we don't we we, we're not present in that transduction and behavior and ideas and acting on insights and feeling horrible emotions sometimes Mm -hmm. and frustration as that happens but it is real well, we wouldn't have skyscrapers. You're right. I, I love that because you, when you talk about the the law of attraction, I, I also go to a place of um, healthy skepticism. And you know, if everything is non-local, why isn't the money in somebody else's bank account also in my pocket right now? Right. Everything's non-local, but it still takes a half an hour by bus to get to the DMV. <laughs> so, so how do how do you how do you bridge that gap? And so, how do you bridge that gap? Like, what is what does that mean for the work that you do? Wow. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to get into it. Um, you can bridge the gap because what I found. Well, again, this is just experience, experience, and trust in that experience. As someone who really does this work, um, said in her book. Uh, being magic, becoming magic, and doing magic, I believe the books were. Um, it's a pen name, so it really doesn't matter. Um, she said that she's not interested in proving anything to anyone. She just practices it, and it happens. You you figure it out. Like the, let the scientists follow me. I'm not going to follow them to try to convince them that this is true. And what I have found is when we take our awareness off of reality right and what does that mean my reality i have that you talked about money in my bank Uh, there's something i like to say is like ignore reality that's how you create the law of attraction and people think that means deny reality Mm. it's not it's ignore it we're ignoring it right now how many doorknobs did you touch today and open to open doors right have you thought of one doorknob all day even when you were touching it no it's 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 not important to your nervous system so you don't really notice it because your body's just using it as um, data to get from a to b and you're no longer present with that mm-hmm. so the subconscious mind is doing it so when we say i have a reality what we're really saying is i'm watching my brain 
pattern recognition, my brain's pattern recognition, remembering patterns that are just patterns in the brain. They're not even experiences. There's just electrical activity and chemicals, right? Mm. And I'm constructing a thought form called an image of a memory based on some moment that happened that was significant, not moments in my past, the ones that were significant emotionally, Mm. either pleasant or unpleasant, right? Then I project those because my brain looks for things that are important through confirmation bias, pattern recognition, um, attention bias. And so it starts to look for those experiences. And then in an attempt to to keep having those experiences, it either deletes when those experiences are the opposite, just ignores the fact that we had extra money in our account that week or that day even, because the brain goes, yeah, but tomorrow or what happens next week, right? So it either deletes the situation that is the opposite of the pattern, or it distorts something into the pattern. Oh, this means that, and that means that's going to happen again. And then it projects the past pattern into the present pattern into the future pattern. And we call that our life. That's our life, right? So what we want to do is recognize that we're paying attention to a brain, which is a pattern recognition device and an intention device, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, instead of using it as an intentional device, we're we're seeing it as a pattern recognition automated device and we're stuck in it, which is why things don't change. And yet, if I wanted to go from a one story apartment or building Mm -hmm. to a skyscraper, I would have to have a different pattern in my brain all day. And I have to think about it, imagine it, draw it, see it, and then juxtapose that pattern onto what is. And as I juxtapose that pattern on with what is, the result of that is energy because my brain's going this doesn't match his experience so it starts gathering like artificial intelligence does it starts gathering data to find ways to get to that image that we've already had in our minds and that's what i mean by transduction and the reason why it's magical is because the subconscious is processing 50 million bits of information right Mm -hmm. estimates are versus 50 bits the conscious mind so it's picking up everything like virtual reality and so Mm -hmm. if you look at a computer programming a program is just a to b and then b does c and c does d and when that happens this happens and it's already programmed that's who we are in our belief systems growing up so we're programs right Mm -hmm. but if you step out of the program and you become the programmer with artificial intelligence and trust that the data is going to figure out a way to, uh, or the the the, the system is going to figure out a way is going to know what to do with the data to match this intention then it finds ways we couldn't imagine mm-hmm. now all you have to do is make a little bit of a jump into the collective unconscious that somehow someone else is being affected the past and present being affected by the now and then these synchronicities show up where somebody you know, a, a year ago, wrote something now, a year ago, as you're thinking, and you're changing the past and the future, but you don't have to go that far. That's just mm-hmm. how you would explain the really weird, magical moments. But to explain a very practical way, my brain remembers lots of things, has lots of experiences, has lots of data. And we all have had this creative experience of having an intention and out of nowhere an idea, idea comes. What is mm-hmm. that? 
forget forget some magical connection to, to the field or past, present, future interference or affecting the past. Just in simple terms of creativity, if you hold your awareness on an experience and you're aware and with intention commitment, you think you're doing things to get there, but you're not. These ideas mm-hmm. are coming out of nowhere, these impulses, the motivations coming from the brain and body, not us. It mm-hmm. just you know sparks a desire, some dopamine starts to to lift, uh, uh, adrenaline starts to lift, and then suddenly we're motivated to have an experience to learn so we can overcome that experience. And this is where I think the suffering comes from. That's why I do what I do for a living, because mm-hmm. I figured this out years ago, because I was one of those that were suffering, which is, I know there's a way in which I can have anything I want. But the problem is, I think that's the only way I can be happy and enjoy my life. Right. As opposed to this person saying, we're going to go to a pendulum swing here. One group, here's another way of putting it. One group says, I'm just going to fantasize and love it and just love what I want and feel good. But in order to have that transduced into physical matter, energy has to form, muscles have to grow, brains have to connect, wiring has to connect in the brain, emotions have to process experiences. So we're going to have to feel a lot of stuff on the way there, just like exercising. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're exercising, and you have a vision of your future, and you see and reframe this experience as it happening, rather than a belief that it can't happen, or something's wrong with me, or I don't like this feeling, it's too much, too fast, too overwhelming. If we don't have that, then we're going to keep going and actually like this, because we're reframing it, right? Mm -hmm. As Arnold said, like him or hate him, he saw this as an orgasm, he didn't see this as no pain, no gain. Mm -hmm. So he reframed the pressure of change as change. So that's a good thing, because he has a vision of where it's getting him. But what happens is because of these childhood moments, we don't want those experiences of rejection, of criticism, of frustration. So we fantasize that, oh, what it would feel like. And so that's a form of psychosis in a sense. We're, we're imagining we're in a world that doesn't exist. Now you bring that psychosis into physical reality, you got creativity. Because now the brain is saying, we gotta do a lot of stuff to get there. But if you get out of the way, law of attraction, you allow it happen through you, you'll be motivated, you'll have experiences. But if you're so convinced and so connected to that outcome, and you're willing to feel that you don't mind the discomfort of change, because you know, it's getting you closer. But when that discomfort is too overwhelming, we're really just fantasizing. And that's why people spend a lot of money on this stuff, because they're really addicted to the dopamine of hope of getting them out of this state, rather than, as Thoreau puts it, uh, it's not what you become. uh, It's not it's not the goal that matters. It's what you become by achieving the goal, meaning you you become a person who can lift 500 pounds. That's pretty cool. Your muscles now can do that automatically. You you now can do calculus automatically. That's pretty cool who you've become. And that only happens through the stressor of the experience of the body becoming what it needs to become, whether it be philosophically, emotionally, mentally, physically, intellectually, it needs to become the thing you say you want. So you got to get out of its way and enjoy the process of of becoming it. 
Right. Yeah. So this is this is this is a lot, and I love all of it. It's just this idea of you use the word reframe um, when you're talking about how your subconscious perhaps runs these automatic subroutines that you're not paying attention to. I don't want to put words in your mouth. That's not sanitary, as Ziegler, Ziegler says. Um, but uh, how I'm kind of hearing it is, I'm picturing. Okay, I need to go to work. Um, I go out to the garage. I pat my pockets. I have this intention of driving. I don't have any keys. Um, I come back in the house and my wife is standing there holding my keys, right? Because she knows that in order to drive, I'm going to need my keys. And this is something I'm not thinking about. And as you're talking about, you know, going from the, the one story building to the skyscraper, it's like, okay, I have my mind on skyscraper, but it's not just sitting in my one story building, thinking about skyscraper makes skyscraper. It's that setting the intention, holding both of those realities. And then the subconscious kind of goes to work or has been working or has been collecting these things your whole life. And suddenly you think, oh, I have an idea how to make a two-story building. And your subconscious is just there with a basket. Like, yeah, dude, we've been reading about this for years and we've been holding on to this stuff, waiting for you to notice. And it feels like magic. It feels like synchronicity, but it's really just building that rapport with your subconscious. So let's go back for a second. What is What role do... Um, negative emotions play in this what are we've been talking about um mind is pattern recognition um but we're more than just that sort of rational processing where do negative emotions come in what are negative emotions and how do they uh, either hold us back or drive us forward that's a great question because that's one of the um the the number one questions i get when i'm working with someone trying to create something new and they're telling me they're filled with these uh, emotions. It's easy, you know, I got rejected again. How do I stay in a positive state moving towards my goals when I'm feeling rejected? And the first thing we have to understand is what an emotion is. On its purest form, its fundamental form, a negative emotion is a combination of fight flight, just extraneous or superfluous adrenaline and cortisol and, you know, heartbeat right? Fast heartbeat, muscle tension, right? That's all it really is. It's a combination of that with, with a, a little endocrine uh, system, some pro-inflammatory chemistry, right? So, so there's a, it's a mood, right? It's either high mood, low mood, happy mood, sad mood. Now, I, after years of doing this, have a tendency to, to look at it through this lens of which I find is very helpful for, for myself and others which is I don't see negative and positive emotions. I see that our, na our natural state is this wonderful balanced state of possibilities. As long as the primitive part of the brain is safe, it doesn't feel like it's threatened, then the mammalian part of the brain can thrive, which is connection and play, right? When that part of the brain can thrive, then the human part of the brain can thrive, which is creativity and possibilities and purpose and meaning, right? And so if the negative... If the body's primitive system is uncomfortable, it doesn't care about a skyscraper. It doesn't care. You say, I want money. I want a skyscraper. I want to be loved. But it doesn't care about that. You think getting that it will make you happy. But really, it just wants to feel that it's safe. And as soon as we think the external world is going to create that safety, we're now holding on to an impermanent data stream that's going to move 
So even if we get it, as soon as we get it, what's going to happen? We're going to be anxious about losing it. See that all the time. Finally get that relationship, that money, that career. What if I lose it? Especially if that, that's why in NLP, we say goals and states are two different things because mm -hmm. a goal is a goal. It's great to have a big house, a warm house, a cold house. It, these things are great to have someone loving us externally. But emotionally, these are just emotions that never processed challenges. And what psychologists call, you never mastered the moment. Right. And so from the minute we're born to about nine, we're trying to master moments. What are these moments? Everything. Uh, fire, <laughs> heat, animals that we don't understand, parents leaving us in a room for a bit, parent yelling at us, some disappointment, children not liking us, you know, peers not welcoming us right away. So these are moments that we're supposed to learn from. Mm hmm. And that motion is supposed to leave and in its wake is our new structures of how to be in the world with that. Now I have behavioral structures that I know. Oh, next time I'm in a good mood now. Next time I don't just run up to like 10 kids that I don't know and go, hey, guys, you want to play? You know, that's not going to be a, a very positive thing. So now I know like next time I go in earlier and I, I just sit there and wait and maybe ask questions rather than think I need to say so. Whatever it is, I now master the moment. I will never, ever have it a negative emotion again around that situation other than the moment that it happens and then I know what to do and it drops and then I adjust. Mm -hmm. If you have an emotion 10 minutes even after the situation, you haven't mastered something unless it's grief. Mm. There's something that's that that is something you can't master. You have to just accept and then grief has its own uh, path, right? So what happens is when we don't master a moment, we hold it in the subconscious mind as a pattern to either recreate a belief system or to avoid. Mm -hmm. So example, I walk up into, I, I, I am at school. The teacher gives me a, something to play or read, right? I'm not prepared. I don't know what I'm doing there. I'm, you know, I'm worried about my parents fighting or whatever. I show up. And I don't see welcoming faces. That's the first thing the mammal's looking for, right? Welcoming faces. I don't see it. I see one kid doing this. These kids, other kids laughing, not feeling welcomed. And I do one of two things with this energy if I don't master it. Either I freeze the image and hold the emotion. And I say to myself, I'll never be put in this situation again. That's the first thing I do. So I, I freeze with NLP. We say that's an internal representation of what it means to talk to other people. I'll always see the world through that lens from that now on until I master the moment and release the emotion. So now I'm always feeling that. Now, unconsciously, is Freud called repetition compulsion. Whatever is not dealt with, right, needs closure, right? So it's going to unconsciously put me in situations where I feel valuable because that's a hope of changing that. Wow, they want you to do a talk with all these medical doctors or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, of course I wanna say, yes, that's prestige. I'm gonna be welcomed, but my subconscious has got something else in mind. It's like, remember that fear? What if they mm -hmm. laugh at you, dismiss you, or wish you weren't there? You never master that. And this is why we keep recreating these situations. We keep attracting the avoidant person or the anxious person. We keep in relationships. We keep uh, putting ourselves in situations where we don't feel appreciated at work or not noticed or, or welcomed or like no matter what we do, it's not enough because of that pattern. So that's the first pattern that gets mm -hmm. stuck. And so we're supposed to master that. 
How do we master it? Simply by recognizing that it didn't match what we would have liked, mm. or we wouldn't have had a we would have had a problem. So negative emotions are saying something out there doesn't match what you would prefer. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. And what would I prefer? People liking me. Okay, now what do I need to learn from this so the emotions can leave? And a good parent will be with that child and self- mm-hmm. help regulate them so they can get more insights and the frontal lobes can start kicking in. If they don't have that ability yet, then they get the insights as a suggestion, hypnotic suggestion from the parents of, yeah, it's okay. What happened was you weren't prepared. Could you imagine if you're excited? And they were just scared because they were going up and you were so confident. They didn't know what to... Oh, now I can reframe it, change the state, and then have a positive picture and want to get closer to that through trial and error rather than avoid the emotion. Right? Mm-hmm. Second thing that happens is a belief that gets formed, you know, which is this means no one likes me. So now, no matter how hard I try, I do my vision board, I visualize, as soon as I see any pattern that reminds me of that pattern that had its core belief, which is nothing more than a decision. A belief is nothing more than a decision to give a moment in time a meaning. That's all it is. This means something. This means they don't like me. So I freeze the emotion. I freeze the image of the memory pattern and I and I give it a label or meaning they don't like me so I do my vision board I do all this stuff I get up and I see as soon as I get there that talk now my 20s the person gets up and goes to the bathroom I think they're leaving because they they don't like me the other person's looking at their watch meanwhile they're having an emergency I think they don't want to really be here with me and so it becomes that self-fulfilling prophecy and a belief is nothing more than that meaning so all you have to do is recognize why did we not have the why did we have this negative of emotion well the only meaning empirical meaning you can give a moment you don't like the only empirical meaning you can't argue with is that this moment didn't match what i what i what i would have liked mm. so that immediately orients you to the image and experience you would like and knowing wow i didn't get there yet like we learned to walk like this didn't match what i would like i want to be walking this right. fall and that's data that's data and feedback yeah, I, I love that. And that's um, a couple of the most powerful things that I've learned from you in the NLP training is, um, you know, the first off is, and I want to make sure everybody hears this, because this just this shift has changed how I look at so much. Um, there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. Um, and another piece of that is, and I'd love for you to say more about that, but another thing that I just want to capture that I'm noticing um, is this idea that a negative uh a negative belief or a what is it, a limiting belief you know we talk a lot about limiting beliefs like i really i want to go for this thing but i have this limiting belief and you said no the lim- a limiting belief is really a limiting decision right and the idea that every belief we have was at some point we encounter something and we decide that this experience means this other thing and uh, i just want to thank you for that because both of those six ex- perspectives have changed my life and is do you want to add more to that am i am i am i am i understanding it yet because 100 percent no you really, yeah, really important yeah I'm, glad, I'm happy to hear that because it is a life changer too because it orients you back to what you wanted rather than the meaning to give the feedback i mean mm-hmm. you know the limiting idea to give the feedback a meaning mm-hmm. it's it's um you, could you imagine if we had that ability when we're learning to walk? This means there's something wrong with my my 
tonality in my legs, you know, my muscle right. tone, you know, yep. I'm not a walker. Yeah. You know, there's some kid just decides at age, you know, yeah. uh, nine months, whatever, you know, walking, not for me, I'm going to work yeah. on, I'm, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a pro crawler, but I'm going to just double down on that. Yeah. Um, so I understand how this works for a nine month old. I get how it works for a nine year old. How does this work for a 47 year old who doesn't have, you know, they're, they're getting up, um, in front of a crowd of people they've they've achieved something in their career they're, there's a reason people invited them to speak to this group and yet they're in front of that room of physicians and inside they're nine yeah but their parents aren't there this time how does somebody bridge that gap by realizing their parents are there this time <laughs> they're filtering it through that 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 lens so the first thing Whenever you're nervous, especially if we're going to get specific about public speaking, which I'm living example of, I was never comfortable. In fact, I was terrified. And now I can speak to the young president's organization and be fine, like mm -hmm. pulling up in my Mini Cooper at the time and be fine because I understand how these things work. And so um, when it comes specifically and, and, and actually, I would say almost everything that we're uh, having a negative emotion around is that we're misunderstanding the intention, right? Once you realize you're nervous, you realize you're at the, in the wrong intention. You should be excited. Mm. So if you're nervous, it means that you're hoping something doesn't happen. And so what you're really doing is projecting something you don't want to happen. And then you're going to fight hard to make it not happen. And mm. so essentially you're using, you're using the group that you're talking to, to benefit you by hopefully they all do this instead of this. And <laughs> And then suddenly now I can feel good because you liked me. And if I worked hard enough, you will do what I say or want. And if I don't or make a mistake, you'll do the thing that I'm projecting you're already doing. So the right there is a, is, 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 it's like, could you imagine a, a computer programmer programming that computer to like not, to avoid not doing that thing about sending that alarm? <laughs> it just doesn't work that way, right? So what I want to make sure I'm doing is first and foremost, I want to make sure I'm in a positive intent of, of giving something. And if I don't feel I need to give something, I'm giving some, if I don't feel I'm giving something, right, then I must be taking something. Mm. And that's not cool. People pick up on that, right? And they pick up on that in your physiology, your congruency and how you speak. So I like to look at it this way. If I'm in the desert and I'm holding a hose of water, who's nervous, me or the people <laughs> around me? They should be nervous. They should be wanting something. I should be happy. Now, I have to accept though, and this is the program that got stuck, that we never process. I have to accept that some people already have water. So they, they don't have any need for my water. That's okay. I'm the intention of giving something. You don't have to take it. Not you better take what I have to give and prove to me I'm valuable. Mm. And I'm using you again. That's what happens in, in sessions. Sometimes you have right. to catch yourself and say, am I doing this to be valuable? Or am I doing this to help them to realize how valuable they are? Mm -hmm. And that shift changes everything. Anyway, so the water, right? So, so one, so one person, is fine. <laughs> this is satisfied. Another person doesn't believe 
that you have water. Well, if you really have water and you're happy to give, why would you have a problem with the person not believing it? You'd have empathy. You'd be curious, like, what do you mm-hmm. need to know? You seem like you're questioning everything I'm saying. Like, what? You seem upset. Well, I don't believe it. Oh, great. What don't you believe? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, if you don't have an answer, then you better find an answer with them because you're here to be of service. Mm-hmm. If you already have an answer, you're excited that they're challenging you. Mm-hmm. So the fear speaks to something you're doing that you don't even realize you're doing, trying to avoid an image that, from childhood that had fear, not feeling welcome and important. And if I work hard enough, mm-hmm. that fear and that image will go away. And that's the difference between an internal experience you don't like and an external experience you don't like. External experiences you don't like are a lot of fun. Let me figure out how to get it to the image I'd like. That's called feedback. That's called creativity. But when an internal experience you don't like is happening and you're trying to change the external experience, what psychologists call locus of control is outside in order to feel good inside, you're done. I don't care how successful you get. You're going to be terrified of that feeling coming back if life doesn't match how you think it should be. And and then you're not really doing anything. You're just manip- manipulating reality through force, through hard work, in order to look a certain way and always in the back of your mind be terrified. That's why you can do a great talk in your public speaking. Mm-hmm. It goes really well. And you read all the comments very excited and that one person didn't like it you fall you fall apart right that's a sign that even though you're physically successful you're really not successful right we were talking about deleting before if you have you know a hundred good reviews and you read that one bad review what do you do you delete a hundred good reviews and then you just inflate you distort this and you generalize oh everybody hates me i'm gonna go eat worms so Uh, I want to talk a little bit about about goal setting and motivation. What's the biggest mistake somebody makes if they're trying to achieve a goal and they're just not getting there? Well, that's a great question. It's this is where the NLP practical NLP Mm -hmm. goal setting and the law of attraction have a kind of overlap, but they're different. And it's Mm -hmm. important to, to do the NLP part first. Mm-hmm. Can I can I stop you for a second? I, yeah. I want to get to this, but could you could you tell me and, and anybody who's not who's who's not hip to this acronym? What is NLP? Oh, NLP is uh, stands for neuro linguistic programming, and it's basically the neuro linguistic, the language of your neurology and how to program it. And language of a neurology is um, when you have when you have a something happening in your neurology, for example, your heart's beating fast, your brain waves are doing something, uh, high beta waves or whatever you want to call it. We have an experience that's language is in pictures, right? We see a picture that we're afraid of, even though there's no picture in our brain, right? There's a that's how the the the, the just like the monitor communicates to us what's in the computer chip. Mm-hmm our mind will compute communicate to us what's in the brain. That's the language that it uses to communicate to us. Pictures, self-talk, words, mm-hmm. sensations, um, uh, smells, touch. That's how we experience it. So by becoming aware of the, its language, right, mm-hmm. we can start shifting and talking its language. Make that picture smaller. I'm wondering if you can allow yourself to notice how that's shifting for you now that creates its own experience in the nervous system right and so uh it's a big <laughs> it's a big field it was uh uh 
kind of discovered it's really not a discovery it's more or it's more about breaking down systems a gentleman by the name of Richard Bandler and and John Grinder and and many others Robert Dultz eventually and and others but those two started looking at well started with Richard Bandler he started noticing uh, that people were having amazing results. Some therapists were having great results and better than others. And being more interested in systems and strategies, he started asking questions about how how they're doing what they're doing and watching what they were doing. And he realized that if he can repeat the same pattern, he can get the same results. And people were attributing these wonderful psychologists like Virginia Satir and... and, um, and uh, Fritz Perls and a psychiatrist by the name of Milton Erickson, they were attributing their success to who they were rather than what they were doing. So mm-hmm. he said, well, what are they doing? How are they thinking? Mm-hmm. What values are they holding? What right. beliefs? How do they They're, see the world? He's a, So Milton Erickson, he's a genius. That must be why he's so successful. Bingo. And And I'm not that kind of genius, so I can't be successful in that way. Right. And Bandler and Grinder took a different approach. What What did they do? They started breaking down the language pattern and noticing the structure and how they were talking to people. Mm-hmm. Notice the inter- this is very interesting. Virginia Satir was asking very, very specific questions, making everything very literal. For example, mm-hmm. if someone said, nobody likes me, mm-hmm. right? Virginia Satir would say, what do you mean nobody? Nobody? I don't like, no, no. Well, who specifically? People at work. Nobody likes you at work and they never like, well, no, they, and so what happens is when you dig down into the truth of what the person's saying, it it helps us to get through those generalizations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it gets to the kernel of the issue, which becomes one pr- one picture, pretty much, one emotional state, one belief that's running their generalization about life and deleting everything else. Mm-hmm. But they found that Milton Erickson was doing the opposite. You would think being a systems person, wow, she's very detailed oriented and asking questions, very literal, treating mm-hmm. them literally. Like if someone says, everyone's yelling at me, everyone's yelling at you? No, not every, you know. She would get very specific and that was taking them out of their trance. Mm-hmm. Because we're from zero to about nine, we're basically hypnotized into ideas. And then we delete everything that doesn't match the idea, right? But then you would think that Milton Erickson would be doing the same thing or something like it if they're, if he's getting results too. And it was the opposite. He was being very ambiguous in his mm-hmm. wording. He was um, using a lot of permissive language. He was telling stories. And this understanding came about that we are hypnotized in childhood through these general ideas that become all encompassing and we project into the world and we unhypnotize ourselves <laughs> by really looking at the nature of the idea with conscious awareness and bringing it to this pattern and it starts to dissolve when you look at it. So Virginia Satir was dissolving them mm-hmm. and he was creating positive new ideas like a child gets through generalization. So he was, um, they found it was really, it's fascinating because when you, to, to your point, he was a genius. Yes, he was. He was just highly, highly, 
highly skilled at that mm. process of permissive language, of storytelling, of, 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 he was, he came along when every, all hip, hip, hypnosis was about authority and uh, direct suggestion, which works on about 30% of the people, mm. right? right? He came along and he bypassed the resistance by being with them rather than at them. And that's why I love Capucinian hypnosis because mm -hmm. we do an arm raising that basically sets us up for pacing and leading and, 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 and linkage by talking right. with them and, and, and pacing and leading them. It's a whole nother story. But, right. uh, so, Vir yeah. so Virginia uh, Satir is chunking down to get to the root of something, finding that one little virus in the code that's hijacking the code. Right. And that's the way of putting it. Erickson is kind of doing the opposite. He's sort of chunking up. He's like getting out of the dirt up into the clouds and so that people aren't stuck on just staring at the virus, but more realizing how resourceful the rest of their computer is right. and has had all these resources this whole time. And he helps people to get into that awareness. And one of the benefits that you were talking about Capucinian hypnosis, as I understand it, is it's it's a way of you know, understanding who you're talking to, what's right. the best way for them to access the most resourceful states, uh, and then you know that's the instrument you play like that's that's exactly. that, that's the that's the genre they're they're ready to dance to uh, and, and suddenly you're dancing so um uh, I, I, I half apologize, but uh, like, sorry, not sorry that we went on this tangent because that was very important to understand. I want to get back on the road of, okay, how does this feed into um, helpful, successful goal setting? Well, just like uh, Milton Erickson was a master of rapport with the other person, basically mm -hmm. uh, with lots of patience to guide them into the places that they said they wanted to go, hopefully, right? Mm -hmm. Um, guiding them beat by beat like a dancer who's become one with their partner and then all of a sudden or someone riding a horse all of a sudden has an, a, an idea and both move together into that idea and one doesn't know if they're leading or following at that point because mm. it becomes one idea and your idea becomes that bigger idea right so we need to do that with our subconscious mind so mm. can i give you an example in neurofeedback how the sure. law of attraction works and why we get in our own way Okay. Yes, please. All right. So neurofeedback, it's basically training brainwaves to come up and at certain types of brainwaves for certain functions that either in parts of the brain to either um, come up in amplitude or come down in amplitude. Right? Mm. And just in a, in, a, in a nutshell, if we have a lot of anxiety, we might want to bring certain frequencies down in the back of the head. And if we're, we have ADD or we're having a problem focus, we want to have frequencies in the front, you know, prefrontal cortex um, built up, right? So as in a, in a nutshell, as far as what we're doing, but let's look at the process of this. You take an electrode and you put it on the top of your head, PZ, mm -hmm. and you're going to measure a frequency. And let's say you want to bring a frequency up just for you normally would bring them down right if in, in mm -hmm. neurofeedback but back here but let's say you want to bring one up right you are watching a machine that shows that frequency the amplitude of it right you're watching a machine you're looking at a machine and again that would be your eyes closed so let's say we're here <laughs> we're trying to bring up a frequency here okay so i'm trying to bring up a frequency by looking at this monitor how do I bring up brain frequencies? <laughs> I don't know. Can tell you. <laughs> Can tell you, right? But I do know I have only one thing: an intention. 
Mm -hmm. And so there's a threshold. So let's say that's the frequency threshold. This is the top. This is the you know peak in the trough right here right, of that frequency. Mm -hmm. And I want to eventually bring it up here. Well, I'm not going to do that because I don't know how to get up there, <laughs> right? So I'm going, to, I'm going to increase the threshold only maybe 7%. So now someone says to me, try to bring that frequency up. <laughs> and then as life has a tendency to do, it accidentally goes boom. Sometimes those frequencies get higher. Sometimes a dollar comes in the mail. Sometimes someone likes our picture and says they want to date us. It's just a little blip mm -hmm. accidentally. But I registered that that's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I say, yay. And I say, I want more. And I try to do it again. Nothing happens. Mm -hmm. But I'm aware that I want it. And then I relax a little bit more with the intention, but relaxation, because I'm not getting in the way trying, because I don't know how to lift a brain frequency. I know how to like something. I know how to breathe. I know how to accept that I may not be able to do it, but I also know how to keep my intention at the same time. And that's the flow that needs to happen all the time, those three patterns, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm there again, all of a sudden it happens again. I'm like, oh, wow. It happens again. My brain now, it's through operant conditioning, is noticing that when my brainwave does that, I get a reward, a light, or even the brainwave hitting the threshold enough, and with a green light, doesn't matter, or a sound. And I get excited about it. But not excited I want more, but I, I, I'm successful at it. I liked mm -hmm. it. And then suddenly, just by knowing I like it, the brainwaves do it more and more and more. And now it's a piece of cake. Now I, I lifted another 7%. And I can incrementally and successively move towards that goal, right? What if I took that brainwave, that those frequencies and said, okay, get up here. And I had these little blips. I'd be disappointed. They're just little blips. Mm -hmm. Little blips above threshold. Oh, no reward frustrating this is what people do when they do law of attraction they imagine something they want and they're here and they don't register any of the process of change happening to get there because it usually usually either don't have a path to get there that's believable or reasonable or promised or they're confusing that goal with the state like i I just can't be happy unless I get up there. So I'm going to be even more frustrated rather than more right. happy and more appreciative. And it's that feeling of appreciation and liking something that registers to the brain you want more. And that's why people in the law of attraction always say, focus on what you want, not on what you don't want. Easier mm -hmm. said than done if you're filled with sure. unprocessed feelings of trauma and shame and hurt. <clears throat> so if I understand, um, and this is the, the uh, I'm going to oversimplify it just so that I understand it. And you correct me where I'm wrong. Um, you know, reaching for a goal, you have to have intention for that goal, but you also have to notice when you're hitting these small wins, right? When you, you, and, and celebrate and celebrate those internally rather than saying, oh, I'm not there yet. So I have the, I'm not there yet feeling. It's more like, oh, I just took a step. And it's not just about desire. It's about feeling satisfied with that step. And, and, and in, internally you like being satisfied. So you keep the, your little AI program running in the background keeps taking those hits, like keeps noticing those small wins 
mean not stopping there but keeping that goal in mind rather than having a goal out there and noticing all my failures noticing all associating to those um you know shocks of setbacks but more associating to those um small victories along the path and if if i understand it then the neural linguistic program it, it my, i i did a lot of coding uh, back in my financial analyst days and learning the difference between like machine language and abstract programs it's like um zoom that we're on right now is doing a bazillion things in the background that i have no idea how it works but i know how to push the buttons I know that that's the language of interfacing with all the stuff that's going on in the background. And I've actually gotten pretty good at pushing those buttons in a way, I hope, that makes a successful podcast, for example. And so it's about understanding that interface, right? And, and the the interface that NLP is telling me to reach that goal is, okay, let's notice those small victories. Let's keep that intention, notice when it's working, and we will create those successful patterns um and it's about not getting stuck in those unsuccessful patterns is it is am i getting close here a hundred percent and that's what the feedback is right it's knowing mm -hmm. if you're getting closer or further from the goal and that's why one of the ways in which to release anxiety and um which i did twice before i even studied nlp that's why i realized that they really had a handle on understanding really breaking down chunking down the strategies of like what someone's specifically doing in their mind that makes them successful mm -hmm. rather than these generalizations of working hard. Yeah, that's nice, you know, right. <laughs> you commit. Hustle. What does that mean to commit? Yeah. Like, Hustle what and is, grind. Yeah. yeah. So, so absolutely, it's a hundred, you, you nailed it. And this is why this is very important because the example I use when I teach NLP is um, because it's a, it could be overwhelming, you know, it's a lot of data, a lot of information, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk to them and I'll say, what's the rush? Right. And I use jujitsu. I do Brazilian jujitsu and, mm -hmm. and um, I, I, I do it, whatever. <laughs> I practice it poorly. But um, I, I, I use that as a metaphor. If I'm trying to be a black belt in jujitsu, which takes about 10 years, mm -hmm. and I'm impatient my first week because I don't know the moves, yeah, I'm going to quit. So the real issue is not learning Brazilian jiu-jitsu here and getting to a black belt. It's the fight-flight response in my body because that bully's going to beat me up and I want some quick fix mm. to beat that person up. Well, you, then you grab a baseball bat or <laughs> you leave town or you yep. accept the fact that sometimes people can beat you up and you deal with that and you master that moment. Mm -hmm. You master better communication skills. <laughs> you master <laughs> um, real uh, pain. You master humiliation, you master that. But what happens is if you're not realizing that, then you're approaching goals in order to get rid of some emotion that really requires release through mastery of the experience, not running from it and getting some external situation to happen that takes time. Again, baseball bat. If with money, I can have a gun and, and get money really <laughs> tomorrow right. with a gun, right? So we have to understand that and really becoming something different that's going to take patience and time milton erickson was apparently very uh committed to understanding this which is having patience with yourself think about it this way you, parents say oh my kids want to play video games should i let them you you want your kids not to play video games they're not going to know they're going to know what their friends are doing give them nazi zombies and have them start on level 10. you really think they're going to want to play video games mm. 
on level 10? They're not. But video games know operant conditioning very well. Mm-hmm. And they know that if they reward you, especially if you're having negative emotions, which most kids are experiencing and you want to avoid them, which is really the nature of addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Now I have a video game. And that video game, right? I'm, I'm playing that video game and I'm able to achieve something that gives me a reward. It's relatively easy. And, and I want more of it. And all of a sudden I'm, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and it's one more level, one more level because I feel confident because I've overcome those challenges. And so that what I love about NLP, uh, because I did this twice, like I said before, and they were both very um, successful doing it. it was successful doing it in both areas of my life, which is you go to the end result and you have to reverse engineer it. You basically have to promise your brain that it's already there and these steps all connect. Some people say it's a plan, but you want to reverse engineer that plan by not thinking this way because it's too much of a chasm from here to there. Mm-hmm. But if you go here and you think about the things that must have happened, that could have happened, that must have happened and got you here. Mm-hmm. And you and then you think about what must have happened and got you here, not just the steps you took, because we all know that steps are actions, but usually the things that happen that change our lives are just moments as someone calls us or we have an idea to call someone else or we bump into someone, read a book, take a class and things click, right? So yes, the steps are important, but also the things that can happen that we don't even consider could happen. Something goes viral. You know, like I said, we meet someone, we have a dream. If you reverse engineer your goal, it's akin to being promised. If you really want to be a doctor, you know what to do in academia, right? You know that you, you get your ma- your bachelor's and then your master's and you go to medical school. Like, you know all this. And so you're excited about the, the, the hard work because it's not hard work. It's a moment getting closer. It's, yes, it's hard work. But if you're committed to that outcome and you like it, you're promised it. So these little incremental goals are achievable. And they, they, like the video game, they become fun. Mm-hmm. But if you're not promised... <laughs> And it's a fantasy and you haven't given the brain <laughs> the steps brains not going to be happy mm. what i have found is now i can go to the end result i can go there love it and trust that if all i stay is in the state of that image and feeling that i can get out of my way enough now that those steps will happen over time even though they don't feel like the steps are happening but that's a tall order to ask someone to go to and that's where the fantasy comes in right so you've said to me that this has changed your life and and again if this is like too personal i totally understand we could edit anything out lately uh, later but can you tell me why this work is so important to you like what 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 you got into it for why you stick with it why you have the passion for teaching it that you have so i grew up in brooklyn right uh, my parents had no money never gave me any money even though somehow they're able to pay for catholic school for, <laughs> for some reason but back i guess in the 60s it was, it was it, people were able to do that with one income blue collar right but i never had my own money so i was working at 14 15 and um i got into a situation where i needed money I needed $5,000. Growing up in Brooklyn, you have a tendency to borrow money from people and do things. And it's like working in nightclubs. And and I lent my car to, uh, I was working in a nightclub and I lent my car to uh, a couple of customers to go make out. They said, hey, we just want your car. We're going to go make out with these girls. Right? They take it for a joyride and total the car. At that time, I, I, I uh, 
I, I quit the bar that night as I had the tendency to do when I got drunk, you know, and I would just um, quit. But this time I didn't get my job back. So I have no job, no car in Brooklyn back then. You needed a car to do anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And I owed somebody money. I owed them about 2,300 bucks. So I have no money, no car. And I did that thing, you know, you do that thing where like you round off, I need about $5,000. <laughs> Talk about fantasy, right? And uh, magical thinking. I was praying every day, playing the lottery every day. And every day I'd play the lottery, you know, being a good Catholic, I would pray to God, please God. And I look for a sign from everything, right? I go into this in detail, in my law of attraction class. Um, but so I, I'm praying, I'm praying, and every day I would play my license plate of the car that was totaled, and whatever I thought was assigned for that day, I was playing the pick four, which was $5,000. So I kept playing, 5,000, 5,000. Absorbed in this idea. I was hypnotizing myself into and that being the only thought in my mind. And it was creating more anxiety because I was getting desperate. And that's why sometimes affirmations can be a, 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 a it can create the opposite result we're looking for because it can reaffirm the panic that you're not dealing with the fear Mm -hmm. so i'm praying and praying i'm looking for you know car cuts me off i play the license plate you know at lunch i I see the receipt 2956 that feels good (laughs) 2956 and i'd run and go play that number and of course you know a month goes by nothing or whatever i don't know how long it was it could have been two weeks it could have been a month and a half i don't know but it was this world of oh, being obsessed. Like I need money. I need money. I need money. And then one day I was praying, <laughs> and I hear a voice, like a very gentle guiding voice. It wasn't like a an externalized voice. It was internal, but it wasn't mine. But it was definitely intelligent, caring, and intuitive, and knowing, and surprising because it wasn't my way of thinking. So call it the the wise advocate, as neuro, neuro, neuroscientists like to call it, the wise advocate in the frontal lobe somewhere. And he said, who are you praying to? I said, what? Who's, what? Who are you praying to? I'm like, praying to God. Stupid question. And they said, okay, let us ask you, and it's a us, it's a group. So let us ask you a different way. Would you rather... Um, if God was here, would you ask it for $5,000? Now, I was a Catholic. God is not an it, right? But I understood the meaning like this omnipotent, omniscient, like this thing that the, the, the field mm-hmm. that where all electrons stem from and go back to you know, this thing, you know, that creates everything all the time, that keeps every, the whole universe, basically. Mm-hmm. That's what I knew it meant, right? Said, if God was here, would you ask it for $5,000? And I said, yeah, that's why I'm praying. And they said, think about it. So I thought about it. I said, think about it. I said, I thought about it. And they always come in threes. Think about it. I went, if God was here, all right, okay, I heard you. And I imagine the room, this I, this was an hallucination. This was, it was just me imagining, like, okay, if I'm in a science fiction movie and God shows up, what does that look like? So I imagine the room splitting open in time and space, <laughs> the matrix cracking right. and this light comes in and in that moment i became everything i surrendered to this thing 
that I'm praying to, might as well talk to it. If I'm talking to it, I must be it and connected to it. And it must be the force that animates me, right? And it must be the person picking the lottery balls and the person of the, you know, owns the car that I want and everything. I mean, it has to be everything. And I became one with everything in that moment. And then now I understand what the Buddhists talk about with attachments and aversions. I no longer was attached to anything because everything was me. Why would I be attached to my left hand? I already am attached to it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be reaching for it. And why would I have an aversion to my right hand? It's me. So everything was me. The fear, the guy owed money to everything was me. And in that moment, I, I just said, hey, if I'm everything, then whatever me, God, all that is, wants from me, I'm willing to surrender. And I was done as needing, worried. I was just present, at full 100% presence. And suddenly in this presence, for the first time I was in my body, not in my brain, and I was in parasympathetic or low arousal happy state rather than stress state. And I let that choose where I was moving rather than wanting and fear. And where I just decided to walk. Did I need anything? No, I had everything. I was just in a state of just peace. Walk down the street. Don't know why. <laughs> I happened to be at the place I would play the lottery at. Had no sign for that day, so there's no reason to be there. I just said, since I'm here, I might as well walk in. Don't know what I'm doing there. I walked in since I was there every day and didn't have my sign. And I played the four numbers of the license plate uh, that, that I played every day, and a woman turns to me and tells me these four numbers. <laughs> and she says, trust me, I've been playing it long enough. I thought ketchup bottles and you know, license plates were signed from God. Here's a human being saying, trust me, I've been playing it. I said, yeah, thanks, lady, whatever she said. I didn't think mm -hmm. anything of it, didn't need it, didn't wonder if I won. It wasn't looking for signs. And then I won 5,000 <laughs> with that number. And, and being a curious person, I spent the, my whole life trying to figure out if this was just an anomaly it was just you know me trying to create a story based on an interesting thing because my brother alan rightfully so very skeptical guy he said i oh he goes i don't think you won and i want to go show him the receipt and he goes um well maybe you won but i think you created a backstory to support this miraculous thing and i was like well that's interesting maybe i made that up i was willing to consider that and that day a person i haven't seen in years shows up and goes hey joe remember how Remember that time you were telling everyone you were going to win the lottery? You didn't know why. You just had it because that was that night where I just felt I had it. I didn't. I couldn't explain how I knew I had it, but that night I just knew I had it. When I became one, Esther Hicks calls it the tipping point, mm -hmm. and and I was in the tipping point. And he reminded me of everything I said, and I was just like, wow. And so I spent the rest of my life trying to figure it out, and I figured it out, and I was talking about it, but I wasn't doing it. And one day mm -hmm. I committed. Twenty years later, I committed to doing what I was talking about rather than just getting excited about concepts. And I realized it was just a more dopamine getting excited about something. And I realized I was going to actually engage in the process that I believe now is true. And I did it for three months and my life changed. And I did it again and again and again and again. And I realized, oh, this is how it works. Mm. And then I spent more time teaching people than creating for myself. Because when you know you can, you don't need to. It's a weird mm -hmm. thing. It's, it's like the Marshall, you know, the, the, the black belt who knows they can beat someone up so they don't want to, they don't need to. Mm, right. It, 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 it sounds like that first time hitting the numbers was like that first, uh, I'm thinking of that first blip, 
when you're trying to raise your brain waves up that 7%, you get a blip yeah. and you're like, okay, so there's something to this. Maybe, maybe Alan's right. Maybe there's not. And here's another, and here's another, and you just keep associating into that. And, and then it's, and now you've arrived at the point where you're, you're not attached to that goal. Um, now you're just holding, uh, and I say just now you are holding a hose in the desert. Yes. I'm going to add to that because from what you're saying, it's true. That was a blip of, wow, this, this is how it happens. But the real blip here was, oh, every time I surrender, become one with everything and stop wanting, things show up mm. that I actually did want. And then as I practiced that blip each time and was willing to let go, we all know that, right? We let go, something happens. That's the mm. blip. And then I got so good at realizing that state creates our reality rather than reality triggers state that eventually I now know how to get into the state because I know that that's involved in achieving the outcome. Mm -hmm. And so those, those were the blips. Yeah. Good way of putting it. So, uh, speaking of getting into that state, we need to wrap up, but I I want to, um, do a service to the audience. Anybody who wants to know more about this state, anybody who wants to get into this state and, and God willing, you'll come back on the show again sometime and we can get more into this because there's so much to learn from you, Joe. Um, so grateful for you being here. Um, who are the people that you're excited to work with right now? If somebody's listening, um, and they want to, I wonder if, I wonder if Joe is somebody who can help me someone who understands that there's some kind of synchronistic magic to life. They have experienced it. They know it. They're not looking to escape their negative emotions. And they really want that linchpin to be like that one thing they're missing Mm -hmm. that they know that if they get or figure out, it's going to change their lives and they're willing to do the work. Yeah, that I'm willing to be challenged for sure, but they're willing to do the work that requires that change to take place and willing to feel what they need to feel and reframe emotions. So emotions become the doorway to change rather than the problem that they're experiencing. Those people who have been like myself trying to figure it out for 20 years, Mm -hmm. I was the guinea pig. I, I, I did it for them. This is how it works, you know. Right. You bet you bang your head on the wall for 20 years so that other people don't have to, but it's, it's somebody who is looking for, as I've heard you say before, um, the difference that makes the difference. Yeah. Right. Is that, that linchpin, uh, and is willing to not just, you know, manifest the linchpin, but actually, you know, look for it and tug on it. Um, that's the, that's a person who's just right for Joe Tabanel. How do people reach you? Uh, they could go to my website, uh, the tab technique, Two Bs, thetabtechnique.com. I have a law of attraction uh, in December 17th at the AHA, American Hypnosis. It's on Zoom, American Mm -hmm. Hypnosis Association. Um, I have NLP training there. My next one will start in February. Um, And there's recordings that are called GPS My Future that based on on these principles. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll be launching a kind of a a workshop, but there's one at the AHA, American Hypnosis Association, called the Law of Attraction, which uh, you can also download online. Joe Tabanel, everybody, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. 
Thank you, John. All righty. Thank you for being present for this ear-popping, mind-blowing conversation with Joe Tabanella. If you'd like to learn more about him and the work he does and maybe possibly even work with him, you'll have all of his contact info in the show notes of this show at deepermotivation.com. And I also want to point out something that he said that's kind of uh, time sensitive. He's going to be teaching a seminar on Saturday, December 17th called Hypnosis and the Law of Attraction. And he's teaching that uh, under the auspices of the American Hypnosis Association. That's a thing that you can access live on Zoom uh, and or get the recordings of after. But I want to make sure you know about it because it's coming up soon. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well if you want to check it out and maybe sign up for it. I will say from personal experience that Joe is a really engaging, fun, thought-provoking, stirring sometimes, but mostly just like really engaging teacher. So uh, if you go to the thing, even if you're not interested in law of attraction or hypnosis or the combination of the two, uh, he's just a great guy to spend some time with. And if you spend your time with him, I bet you're going to see a real change in your life as well. I know I have. So check it out. That's going to be December 17th. And in the meantime, Thanks again for listening. Peace. Thank you for joining us today for the Deeper Motivation Show. All the resources mentioned today, as well as a full transcript of the show, can be found at our website at deepermotivation.com. If today's episode made you happy, leaving us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice is just the sort of thing that happy people do. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss a single weekly episode. One more thing, last but not least, before we go our separate ways, I wanted to offer you something I have prepared for you. Based on my own studies and research and my own personal experience of being a driven person who, I'll admit, has not always been so good at keeping my balance in life, keeping my head in the game, or keeping myself healthy for those I serve and those I love. It's a brief guide entitled, Four Things Driven People Need to Beat Burnout, Break Barriers, and Build Balance for a Life You Really Want. I know the title's about half as long as the whole guide, but I want you to know exactly what you're getting. If that sounds like something you want or something you need, head on over to deepermotivation.com forward slash four things and get your copy today. That's deepermotivation.com forward slash the number four, the word things all smushed together. Until next time, remember that you are so much more than what people see on the surface. And until we meet again, stay chilly, my iceberg. Deeper.